learning to be more, um, to have more of a relationship with myself and take time for myself. Um, I've started doing quite a lot of meditation, which has really helped. Um, just trying to be more present and, and enjoy what I've got rather than projecting into the future or looking at the past you know, regretting things or worrying about things that have happened or worrying about what might happen. I think the one thing that COVID has shown is that everything's unpredictable and things can change in a minute. And, you know, what's really important is community and looking after people around you, being, putting out providers basically to the people that, and being kind to each other. It can feel really overwhelming this is going on. Like the world's a really overwhelming place and you have no power. So then I think you just have bring it all down to this small place which is you and your centre and then you know your community and looking after each other. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Good to be with you. We are looking at relationships this term with this series of messages uh, entitled Your People. We figured that as we're coming out of COVID and the lockdowns associated, we would be wise to reflect again on how to relate to one another how to, to do life in community, seeing as community has suffered so much these last two years. We've literally, at some points of uh, the period, been isolated in our homes, kept under a certain kind of house arrest. And then at other times, it's not been quite so restrictive, but it's still been, uh, it's still been hampering to our ability to connect meaningfully. We've not been able to travel to be around each other in the way we would have liked to. And so now that we're rediscovering uh, some quicker than others, we're kind of feeling our way back into each other's lives. How do we do this? And I want to talk today particularly about singleness, about the condition of not being married. I'm obviously talking to the single people, but I'm talking to everybody in the church and everybody listening in uh, from uh, outside the church, friends with us today. If you're new, you're very, very welcome. Because this letter that we just read from by the Apostle Paul was written to a whole church community. It wasn't just written 
to the singles, or it wasn't just that, that they sort of uh, copied and pasted, uh, cut and pasted a few sections out for different elements of the community, but rather they, they, they all would have listened in to the wisdom that Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was sharing with the whole community because everyone in the community needs to know God's wisdom for every other part of the community so that we can function well and understand the best way to live for whatever stage of life we find ourselves. And for those of us here listening who are single, I want to particularly commend you, encourage you, thank you. And I guess, to be honest, try to sympathise with you for what has been a particularly unusual time. For single people, this has had its own kind of pain. Uh, COVID and the lockdowns have, have kind of given many of us an opportunity to talk about family a lot. Maybe you've even heard that word being used so much that you've perhaps grown a little tired of it. You know, people celebrating the fact that we get to be family. We, we've, we've been homeschooling. We've been being together and enjoying relationship at a, a more intimate level. And I got to know my, my parents or my kids in a closer way. Many of us have heard that kind of story. And for some who live alone or who are doing life alone in some way, it can sound actually grating, I imagine, because it seems to underline uh, the, the fact of the difference we already feel. Well, I, I don't have family, not in that way. I'm, I'm doing life alone. And I imagine for many of us who are single, it's, it's also meant that the prospect of connecting, the prospect of meeting someone, connecting meaningfully and starting a relationship that could even become marriage has also been at least hampered a little. And for many months, it's been completely <laughs> delayed and prevented. So that, so that this whole season has, has had its own kind of pain. And I want to thank you people who are part of this church for the way you've walked through that. Many of you will probably feel different degrees of sorrow looking back, maybe even different degrees of regret. I know that in the midst of frustration and setback of this kind, uh, we find temptations much more serious than they normally are. Uh, we find different kinds of distraction, a little sweeter than they might have been. And, and so you've probably undergone a lot of challenges, trials, difficulties, that perhaps at some points felt that you've not done so well. And I imagine there's all kinds of ways that our emotions play up. The Bible talks about a very real enemy who likes to accuse and attack us on the basis of our merit or our demerit. Our sense of success or failure can be exacerbated by this enemy who loves to bring us down or bring us up with pride. And we need in the midst of everything, all of us, but let me say especially to our single brothers and sisters in the church, you need to receive the grace of God and know his rest, his care, his particular compassion to you in the midst of this season. For many of you, the important thing to hear is his well done, his pleasure over you, his favour for you. And I want, especially today as well, to perhaps bring some perspective for you and some encouragement, perhaps some hope, hope that is well placed, biblically placed, uh, from this passage that we are in, 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 in today's message in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. So let me, let me just set this up a little bit by saying that the Bible 
the Bible does have a distinct vision for singleness, for the single life. The Bible puts before us a powerful, a remarkable, appealing vision for the single life. And we can miss that partly because, especially in this day and age, it's necessary for churches to especially emphasize marriage. As a culture, generally speaking, uh, the world has its vision for the single life as well. There is, a, there is an alternative vision for the single life, which is presented as especially attractive on the grounds that it brings freedom and opportunity to uh, indulge ourselves sexually without carrying responsibility. I think that's especially true of our age. In previous generations and previous societies, sex and responsibility have been utterly entwined, seemingly inseparable. And it's in recent generations that this has changed to the degree now where sex and responsibility are, are almost kept apart as a statement of fashion. We, we, we kind of resent the, the, the suggestion that sex equals responsibility. No, we, we think it's important to preach the freedom from responsibility that everybody is entitled to. We deserve to be sexually experimental and sexually and romantically fulfilled. We all deserve this. And don't you come talking to us about responsibility because that's just, that's just restrictive, it's repressive, it's harmful. That's the way we have generally gone as a culture. And the result is that actually singleness is extremely common in the wider society but not for the same reasons that it might be in the Bible. The vision for singleness is really different. And the vision for marriage in the wider world is, is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. I remember someone saying in a book I read a few years ago that marriage potentially will be the same as monasticism pretty soon. It's like that thing you've heard of. Some people in the world are monks. You know, you've never, never met one, but you know they exist. And marriage is kind of going to end up in the same bracket potentially. And statistically, the, 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 uh, the trends uh, regarding marriage are not positive and encouraging, generally speaking. For those of us that take marriage seriously and see it as a positive thing, it seems to be dwindling. And so the Bible presents a, a, a vision for marriage which is so different. And in fact, it calls most of us to to live that way. Most of us will be involved if we follow Jesus in expressing our devotion to him through building family. It's part of what it means for most of us. And that's how we see scripture kind of presenting the story. But then, as I say, the Bible presents a positive vision for singleness as well. And uh, it's worth just thinking this through. I, I could think of maybe five categories within the church of single people. I mean, this, is, this is just shorthand, obviously. It's not as simple as this. I'm not going to give you all a badge and separate you like, with a, you know, like a, a hat in Harry Potter. I just the Five general categories, though, that give you some idea of how singleness can happen. The first category, to start with the, the, the negative end, those who are basically single but have not embraced the Christian vision, the biblical vision for marriage. And maybe you're you started to investigate Christianity and the, the point of your journey is that you're, you need to learn the difference that this makes sexually, the difference this makes romantically, the difference this makes relationally, which is huge, 
huge and important. And so to follow Jesus will involve having him reshape the way we think about relationships, the way to, to bring back together sex and marriage as, some, as things that are held tight together because they're so important, they're so special, they're so sacred, valuable, beautiful, to be celebrated, to be marveled at and wondered at. And to recover that glorious, holy understanding of sex and marriage is part of the journey for some of us. That's the stage we're at. There's a second category uh, of people who, who have embraced the, the biblical vision for sex and marriage and, and actually are very happy with it, but for whatever reason, can't yet act it out, can't feel hampered, don't feel confident to make a step. Every other variable in your life is, you know, we're, lockdown is over, for example, you know, things are ready. You can start connecting and building towards marriage, but there's something that holds you back personally. There's fear, perhaps. There's, there's a, perhaps you've slightly swallowed more of the world story than you thought you had. Whatever reason, it's just, it's a kind of a, the prospect of pursuing a spouse is, is an awkward one that you're not really sure about. And there are practical issues, perhaps, involved as well. Third category is people who, actually, it's, it's, it's not a question of, of whether you accept the vision for singleness. You accept it wholeheartedly. In fact, you, you perhaps feel a certain calling to it. Some people would say, yeah, actually, I, I know that marriage is good. I don't want to be married. It's, it's not, and, and because I love Jesus, because I'm pursuing Jesus, I want, I want to be I want to be completely focused on him. I feel called to a single life. It's, it inspires me more. And we'll come back to that before we finish. It's very much what the, the bit of the Bible we were reading from refers to. Then there's the, the fourth category, those who would say, yeah, I, I, I am single. I don't feel called to be single. Uh, but it seems apparently that at least for this season of my life, I am called to be single because this is where God's put me. And I, I, I actually would rather not be. I kind of yearn to be married and uh, look forward to it in hope. And that's the, the place that I'm at. And that, that, that category uh, of, of people in the church, uh, we, we want to especially, I mean, I, I feel today, I'm trying to think, how can I encourage you in the, in the, the way that you've kind of uh, got, the, the stage of life you've got to can leave you often confused, often thinking, hey, what, how am I supposed to pursue God's will? How am I supposed to discern the season that he's got me in? How, 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 how am I supposed to get there? Maybe for some of you, the yearning to be married becomes a dominating thing. It becomes the, the sort of the priority of life. It becomes the focus. And you, you kind of, you're got it getting into that kind of dialogue with God all the time. I, I just, I just, you know what I want, Lord. The only thing I really want. In fact, it can be the thing you want to the point where your relationship with God is kind of subservient to it. You've maybe got that verse from the Psalms that so many of us know well. Psalm 37, verse 4. You've kind of got it etched on your mind or maybe literally etched somewhere. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a popular verse for those who would like to be married. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart in terms of, you know, the perfect husband or the perfect wife. 
So you've got to delight yourself. That's how it works. You delight yourself in the Lord, and then he'll give you this back. It's like a fruit machine. You put this in, and you get this back. And, and hopefully it works out that way. And we can kind of reduce it to that rather mechanistic way of, 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 of expecting it to, to, to happen. And then be so pained when it doesn't seem to. Perhaps even start to feel hurt and frustration towards God because well I, I did delight I am delighted I really am I'm, I'm delighted no I really I really am I'm delighting in you why don't you give me the desires of my heart <laughs> what we're doing is we, we're revealing that the thing that we delight in the thing we desire ultimately is not him and so the journey God takes us on can sometimes be one where we think wow you, you, you seem to be working on my very heart you seem to be and I'm not enjoying what I'm seeing of you you're not making yourself very delightful while you're not giving me the stuff that I want and God seems to deliberately take us all of us in different ways married or unmarried in journeys where the thing we pursue whether he gives us it or not we have to discover that actually even if we do get it it's not actually what our heart can ultimately settle on for eternity. The ultimate desire of our heart, as we will discover, will always be him. We are born and made for him alone. And discovering that on this journey is, is a huge, huge, well, it's a lesson that we will each learn at different times. And then finally, very quickly, there's the, the category of people who are single unexpectedly. One of my best friends just, just uh, over a year ago became single, having been married for decades, and is now going through a very different and unexpected stage of his life. So there's multiple ways that this will affect different people in the church community, all those who are watching, listening today. But there's stuff, there's, there's stuff for us in this part of 1 Corinthians 7 that I want us to glean before we finish and I've got a friend of mine who's going to help us glean further as she talks about how it applies to her life in a moment. Paul's giving himself as a kind of model to this church in Corinth. He's saying, I wish that all were as I am myself, <laughs> that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That's what he says in chapter 7, verse 7. I, I wish, really, honestly, personal opinion, this is Paul just giving us, he says, this is just my opinion. I wish all of you were the same as me. I think it's brilliant being single, he says. He puts himself forward as a model. He says, look at, look at how I live. I, 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 can, I can achieve stuff. I can do stuff. I, I'm so glad, he's saying, for his singleness. Now, let me pause on that and say this is not just Paul. There's a pattern of this throughout the Bible. You'll see it in many of the different heroes that come through in Scripture. Men and women who were, in fact, more fruitful, you could say, in their lives for not being married. The glorious example is Jesus himself. The, 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 the perfect example, because what we see in Jesus is the revelation of humanity. This is the, the wonder of, of, of this story, is that God has revealed himself through Jesus, not just revealing the perfect God. Jesus doesn't just come revealing divinity, what it means to be God, but reveals even what it means to be human. Pontius Pilate, at his trial in John's Gospel, pronounces those words, Behold the man. Behold the man. And uh, John's trying to make a point. He's saying, uh, this, this, is, this is God's uh, 
perfect rendition of humanity. So if, I, if you want to know what a man is, if you want to know how I see humanity at its perfect, sublime level, here's my son. Behold the man. And this is a man who died a virgin. This is a man crucified without ever having had sexual relationship. This is completely countercultural. This, what I just said, perhaps one of the most remarkably turn the world upside down statements a man can make publicly today. The, the, most, uh, the most fulfilled, let's use a contemporary word, the most fulfilled human being in human history, the person who achieved, did the most, is celebrated the most, the person who most fully demonstrated what it means to be human, did not have a sexual relationship with anybody. Now, we, we assume, we, we've built our culture seemingly on the deeply ingrained assumption that we, we kind of start with that <laughs> sexual appetites must be fulfilled. They must never be repressed. And sexual fulfillment, sexual, physical sexual fulfillment, is part of what it means to be human. Without it, we are missing a huge element, a dimension of humanity is being denied us. Well, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is surely a demonstration that that isn't true. The Bible presents to us the model man as a single man. So let me assure you, all you unmarried dear friends, brothers, sisters in the church, who look at yourselves in the context of community, perhaps sometimes, and are at least tempted to think, am I, am I complete? Am I, am I fully human in the way that I see others being in families? I long to be able to do that, to be fully human, to be fulfilled. If you think that, I wonder if you need to be set free from some false thinking. Be liberated by the reality that you still model full humanity in the way that it's been given us in Jesus. And many of our great heroes, not just in scripture, but in the history of the church, people that I learn more from very often, from the way they lived and the things they've written, the things that they've explained to the rest of us, are men and women who walk the single path and are still bearing fruit hundreds of years after they die. So there's a big issue here for, for us to see in Paul's model. And very practically, I mean, he's talking about the difference it makes that he's able to devote himself to the Lord, not to what he calls worldly things. In this case, worldly doesn't mean sinful. If you're, if you're married uh, and have a family and you, you're kind of thinking, well, I, I didn't know what I was doing was worldly by planning the family holiday or getting my kids into school or sorting out their uniforms or cooking dinner or paying the bills. Is that worldly? It's worldly in the sense that Paul means it here, not as a negative thing. It's just stuff, mundane stuff of this world that can make us feel distracted. It can, it can sort of seem to fill our lives with a different level of anxiety. And to see that is helpful, to understand that family life is busy in a different way. It puts pressure on of a different kind. And Paul's saying, I'd sooner you didn't have to do that. I'd sooner you were free from that. And I can understand that, you know, being a dad, I can sort of see that. I, I can relate to it very much. There are certain points in life where, you know, the cliche example would be things like when, when it's time to go on a holiday. Literally, you know, when, when I was single, 
Going on holiday meant literally walking out the door. You know, it was like just grabbing one or two things and walking out the door. It would take me relatively short time compared to, literally it's about a day's work at least. Just, I'm not talking about planning the holiday, I'm just talking about packing the car. It's, it's a big operation. All that takes place in the in-betweens, in the in-betweenness of life. There's not, maybe there's a better word for it, but I'm going to call it the in-betweenness of life when you're married with kids or just married, goes up. It's, it just, it becomes a factor. And, and that's just, that's a trivial example. It's, but it, it's, it makes the point that life becomes complex and, 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 and the complexities seem to multiply. This is a good thing to be free from, Paul's saying. And many of you, that's just a practical reality worth considering. He refers to himself as being, having been gifted. It's an interesting phrase he, he uses. He, he says, I wish all were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. A gift. Now, I, I guess, you know, for those who are single, seeing it as a gift may sound like a bit of a slap. You know, that's not, that's not a welcome word. Many of us would feel, I don't think this, this doesn't feel, this feels like a badly chosen gift. You know, one of those that goes into the reject queue at uh, the supermarket or the shops on Boxing Day. It's not a gift to me. But Paul would, would, would ask us to, to reflect on that. I believe the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, would, would ask us to reflect. Why? Why do we assume we know what the gift is that we most need and ultimately which will be most of a blessing to us? These, these gifts that God brings into our life, whether they're marriage or singleness, and that's Paul's point. He's saying maybe some of you are gifted at this point in your life to be married. That's a gift. Are you gifted to be single? That's a gift. How can it be a gift? I'm going to let my friend uh, do some talking for a bit. I think I've done quite a lot. Let me introduce Sophie, who I think gives some examples in her own life of practically how this works. Okay, so I think as single people, sometimes there is a real temptation to think the grass is greener on the other side and think that people in different life situations, like who are married and have kids, have got it, have they got everything? And you're the one that uniquely carries a sort of sense of sorrow or grief that you haven't got those things. Um, whereas actually you don't know their life situation and there are actually pros and cons to everything. I mean, like, there's a verse that talks about, you know, the married woman has you know, got all these concerns about how to please her husband and her family, you know, whereas the unmarried woman has, like, is free to serve God and to follow God. And, you know, I, I think considering that there are burdens and sacrifices that come with married life as well, like, you might not have the time to go out and spend time with your mates and just be free to do whatever you want, like you used to be able to. Um, you know, you've got responsibilities and things, you know, hard work to do. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's easy to look at like only the positives, but actually there are real benefits to being single as well. Having that time to serve God, doing the things that you feel he's called you to do. Um, and uh, just, there's no way I could do that. A lot of the things I'm doing if I, if I didn't, if I was at home with kids. So that's a, that's a massive blessing. And it's really good to remember that because then you don't fall into grumbling and um, that kind of distrust of God that he's not sufficient for your situation. Like everyone's got burdens, everyone's got trials. Um, and whether you're single or in a relationship, you want to bring that to God and trust him and not grumble in that situation. Um, and the other thing that I would say about being single uh, is that um, it can be a choice to um, 
I personally find it really helpful to think about like what I would call my worst case scenario, <laughs> um, which would be like, you know, not ever getting married or not having children. And you and what I found really helpful is to like almost put that on the altar and just say like, God, if that is your plan for my life, then I reconcile myself to being okay with that. And if you do that, when I do that, and I do that with other things in my life as well, um, you can have a peace because if you've already decided, look, I'm okay with that, I'm gonna trust God, if that's his, his will for me, then it means that, you know, if you, like if, if in other examples, you know, if I did that and then the worst case scenario happened, it's like, oh, well, that's okay because I've prepared for it mentally and I've, I've decided to follow God. Um, but then if the, the best case scenario happens, it's like a massive bonus and you have loads of gratitude and joy. Um, and so that's a really helpful exercise and way of looking at it. It also helps you to uh, resist like temptation maybe of like, um, you know, settling out of fear for someone that isn't right for you, maybe a non-Christian or something like that. So um, it's a really helpful exercise just to bring that to God and say, look, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Sophie is giving her own personal example from experience of, of how these, these ideas apply in, in actual life. Can, can they really cash out in, in ordinary experience? I don't think they cash out easily. I don't want you to, to listen to this message today, what I've said, what Sophie said, and imagine that, that the message is, well, just, just, just think of it this way, and, uh, and it will be fine. This is the easy way to embrace the single vision. This is the easy way to embrace any particular vision. I don't think really what I'm inviting you to is, is intended to be easy in that superficial sense. There is an ease in following Jesus, he said so. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You and me experience the ease of discipleship in the context of trust, in the context of going through difficulty, we discover the ease that he provides. It seems to be, at least often, an ease that's felt on the other side of resolve, sometimes pain, difficulty, disappointment and setback. I want to say that up front and real to you because the call to follow Jesus in 21st century Brighton and Hove and Shoreham is indeed a radical call. It does set you apart. What we're called to do as Jesus followers is massively subversive in a world which insists on a on a pattern of living sexually, romantically, that is considered the only way to be human, the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to be happy. Jesus has promised to teach us the way to be happy. He's teaching us the way to blessedness, happiness. So we trust him. That's what we do when we take every step of obedience. We're saying, I do trust you. I trust that you know the way to joy. You know the way to fulfillment, satisfaction, and finding peace and contentment in that decision. Well, that's my message to you today. That's my message to everybody, husband or wife or unmarried. Because like Paul said, in each case, it's a gift. This is a potential gift to you. Marriage is full of pains in reality. Singleness, full of pains. 
God gives them each as a gift. The mistake we make is we imagine that that path itself is the gift that I don't have. What she has is the gift I long for. What he has is the gift I long for. If I had what she had, what he had, I would know full redemption because surely for single people, marriage must be redemption. If only I could have marriage, then life would, would finally be, it would reach its climax. It would reach that point of fulfillment that I long for. And the truth is that the answer to that is no and yes. No, you won't find redemption in having the marriage that she's got or the marriage that he's got. You won't. In fact, you might just want to ask them. You might want to spend time talking it through with them. And Sophie alluded to some of the pains and pressures and difficulties of marriage. Just consider the vows that people make. Consider the reality of fulfilling them. One of my dear friends recently, he watched his mum look after his dad through the last few years of significant Alzheimer's and it, it worked its way through him and really affected their whole family and it was just years of her nursing him in those closing stages. That was her life. It consumed her. She did it lovingly. She did it patiently. She lived a, a Christ-filled, cross-shaped life to the glory of God. But it wasn't easy. That's marriage. That's marriage for you. Don't keep wishing for redemption in someone else's path of life. God has a path of life he's taking you on. And you need to be able to trust him in it. God, I believe that your plan for my life is, is the right one. All of us will carry some kind of challenge. And this would be a challenge for many for different reasons. If I was to talk to you about someone who converts to Christ from a, a Muslim family... I'd be talking about someone who's carried huge challenges, huge difficulties, had to say no to a lot of things and sacrifice a great deal. Well, why, why would it be that the cross lands on the shoulders of just a, a convert from Islam, but not on a convert from a 21st century sexualized Brightonian culture? We've got our own path of discipleship to take, our own worldliness to be saying goodbye to and a, a Jesus to pursue. And for many, the cost of doing that will find its way into our lives, married or single. And I want to encourage you to say no to the idea that redemption is found in someone else's path. But finally, and I'm over time, let me say this quickly. There is some truth to it. There is redemption to be found in marriage in the ultimate sense, because every marriage, including the most noble, virtuous, happy-looking marriage, the most Instagram-successful marriage you'll ever see, is at best, at best, a shadow of the reality. Because marriage in the Bible really is always a signpost to the great marriage, the story this whole book is telling, of a marriage between bride and groom, a, a groom that came for his bride, suffering upon the cross, dying for her, to redeem her for himself. And this book tells a story of the build-up to a great eternal marriage. That's what we look forward to, which is why Jesus, when questioned about it, explained that there would be no marriage as we know it in the new creation, new heavens, new earth. Marriage will be done as we know it because it will all have done its work. It points to a greater marriage the marriage that we actually need and the one that only in itself will be truly fulfilling, completely fulfilling, is our marriage to Christ.
That's the one he himself yearns for, to be joined with his eternal bride. And if you imagine going into marriage will fulfill all your deepest longings, I guarantee you will be disappointed. I guarantee you will be deeply disappointed. There is a marriage we're invited into with Christ, a relationship with him that you could even start today that he won't disappoint you. He himself cannot because he is perfect and he gives himself to you freely. We celebrate that by coming to the table, taking bread and wine, remembering him, receiving him and trusting him with our lives of obedience and repentance. Let me just pray. Father, help us, whichever life stage we're in, to, Lord, to live this message fully, uh, trusting you and fruitful for, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.